Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rail Group On Air, presented by Railway Age and Railway Track and Structures magazines and International Railway Journal. I'm your host, Bill Wilson, and I am the editor-in-chief of RTNS Magazine, and welcome to another podcast. This is Rail Group On Air. wants to be left alone. Spans want the support of workers, and when everything is built, spans want to be the support of vehicles. Hello everyone, I'm Bill Wilson, Editor-in-Chief of Railway Track and Structures magazine. There is a bridge in Madera County, California, where progress is standing still. Road 27, which crosses over a BNSF line and a future California High-Speed Rail Authority line, has not grown in months. Last year, 23 high-strength strands of steel snapped, and on November 4th, work was stopped. Now, some work has still gone on, but the main structure has, for the most part, been all alone. My hope was to get a representative from the California High-Speed Rail Authority to talk about why this project, which started in 2016, continues to be delayed. However, the agency declined an interview. They did supply a statement, and here are some of the highlights. Now, these are things that the California High-Speed Rail Authority are responding to in regards to the Road 27 bridge. The girders of the Road 27 bridge have second connected sections, each with steel strands inside for post-tensioning and to provide strength. The fact that some of these strands have been compromised is disappointing, but not unheard of, And even though almost all the strands in the girders are working as designed, anything short of 100% is unacceptable. Work will be redone at the cost of the contractor, and work on other aspects of the structure continues. I also called on William Ibs, a University of California at Berkeley civil engineering professor who has worldwide experience working on high-speed rail projects. I wanted to get somewhat of a general view on what is supposed to happen during bridge construction. Ibs' purpose of this interview is to provide insight, and in no way is he intending to accuse anyone involved in the Road 27 bridge design and construction. So here is my interview with William Ibs. I mean, I know you're not going to comment specifically on this bridge, but um, just to form a foundation here, you know, 23 high-strength steel strands snaps uh, due to moisture. I mean, how much rainwater does it normally take for strands to snap, high-strength steel strands to snap inside a bridge? Does this require a lot of rainwater or moisture or not so much? Or maybe you can explain that it process does, a little bit. It, it doesn't It doesn't require so much. Complicated question, Bill. You know, I've, I, I'll try and, you know, boil it down to a couple of key concepts that you and your readers would be interested in rather than get into, you know, a big discussion about chemistry and all that type of thing, okay? But, you know, it, it, it would not necessarily take a lot of moisture. It's a question 
first of all, of what condition is the strand in when it's exposed to the moisture. If there are surface cracks or if there's some sort of pre-existing corrosion that has already started, uh, it doesn't. It wouldn't take a lot of uh, volume of water uh, or moisture. Uh, it it might just take a little bit, and it might take a little bit for a prolonged period of time. So if it was, you know, if it was just a little bit of water that hit the surface of the streams and then it fell off and it dried. You know, the Central Valley area of California is a pretty uh, uh, arid region. If it just, you know, evaporated pretty quickly, no harm, no foul. But if it's going to be a, uh, let's say, a damaged, a, a, a strand that's already damaged when it arrives to the job site and it's exposed for an ongoing period of time to moisture, Especially if it were, you know, exposed around a uh, saltwater environment, then it, it it just would take, you know, just a little bit of moisture. It wouldn't take necessarily a lot, and it wouldn't have to be immersed. It could just be, you know, exposed to the atmosphere, to a humid atmosphere. So, is this a common problem in bridge building, or is it just unique to certain bridge projects that this happens? This is a very unique, uh, I haven't heard of this happening in the past uh, decade or so. Uh, it used to be in the early days, 30, 40, 50, well, 40, 50 years ago, uh, when um, post-tensioning and pre-stressing was, was um, newer, a newer concept, uh, people didn't know what they were dealing with and they didn't have proper handling and storage protocols. But in the past, as I say, 20, 30 years, it's a very routine, you know, dealing with this type of material, this type of component is very common. And as a result, uh, contractors and uh, suppliers know how to treat uh, the product, how to protect the product. So. We've got what we've got going on here is a situation that is is unusual, and I'll be very interested to uh, understand what uh, you know what really uh, went wrong in the process. Talk about the inspection process as this bridge is being constructed. Um, you know what typically takes place. Uh, is this something like when, when you're talking about something that was damaged to the strands, is that something that could have been caught before they actually snapped or it can be caught before it does, you know, these strands do snap? Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it starts, it starts the inspection process or the quality review process starts early on, even earlier than uh, the, the installation, when the installation begins. It all starts back when the, you know, the contractor buys the strand and it's their shop drawings and their submittals that are um, assembled and pre presented to the 
the engineer of record and they'll review the product and you know the particulars of metallurgy and the um, uh, the quality the manufacturing quality uh, process and they'll review how it's going to be transported to the site and they'll review how it's going to be stored and how it's going to be installed so you, you're starting upstream the quality tracking process starts upstream and then once it gets to the job site uh, there will probably be an inspection, a quality control inspection process that's performed by the contractor. Most, day, most times today, we have what's called quality control versus quality assurance. Are, are you familiar with that, uh, yeah. those terms? Okay. Yep, QCQA, yes. Exactly. So usually the contractor is responsible for his own QC, and then a engineer of record or a construction manager will perform QA, uh, and that's you know reviewing the the procedures and doing spot checks. And they won't check every last strand. They won't be out on the job site every last day of the job, but they'll maybe perform surprise visits and they'll 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 uh, make sure that the installing contractor has the proper paperwork in place and photographs and mill certificates and all that stuff. So uh, it's it's usually the quality the quality control function is usually performed by the the general contractor, and the general contractor in a case like this may be using a a specialty firm to actually do the installation of the of the of the strand because it is a a very technical uh, field, a very specialized field that requires good quality labor and specialized machine installation machinery and that type of thing. So it's not like, you know, every last strand is going to be checked every last day of the installation process. It's more of a spot checking process. So how long does it typically take to make the necessary repairs when strands snap and, you know, you have 10 to 20 strands snapping um, is that a rather long process to make those repairs or or not? Yeah, it, it usually is. Uh, and the process is, let's, let's say it's, it's divided into a couple different phases. One is that there will be an investigation phase to figure out what the root cause was. And that usually takes longer than the actual repair work, you know, they could spend uh, months going into uh, an investigation of what happened, and then once they've uncovered the root cause and designed um, repair or replacement strategies, uh, that physical work might be accomplished in a matter of, you know, a few days or a couple weeks. and then, of course, there's going to be, you can be sure that there's going to be an extra level of, uh, of review and double checking and triple checking after uh, the work has been installed. Um, but, you know, if you think about the total duration from, from the time the problem is discovered until, you know, it's completely remediated, if you think about that duration, you know, the actual physical work might only take 10% of that that period of time because 
there's going to be all sorts of, you know, background checking and, and investigation. And, uh, you know, many situations like this end up in litigation. So the parties start to, to um, you know, get quiet and, and start to hold the, their cards close to the vest because uh, they want to preserve their rights to uh, recover any any damages and any extra costs. So uh, you got you got that potential. You've got the a a potential layer of litigation involved in these situations too. So when when work is stopped on a bridge, and you know it's everything is kind of at a standstill for weeks, months. Um, and then say they get the go-ahead to proceed with, with the project, do you have to go back? I'm assuming you have to go back and, and inspect, inspect everything then because it's been standing there over the last few months. Doesn't that add to any complexity to this? Absolutely. The, uh, the conduit or the sockets where the, pre-strand, the pre-stressing strand or post-tensioning strand is jacked uh will be will be open and um you know that might be susceptible to uh the elements or getting banged around or whatever so um it's not just the strand itself they're going to want to check the conduits that the strand is in uh there's usually grout that uh is installed in the in the conduit after the strand has been tensioned uh and the grout might have a shelf life so they may have to go back and, you know, dispose of, uh, I'm not saying the grout would already be installed. The grout will be, you know, purchased in sacks or bundles, and it may be sitting off to the sh- off to the side while the repairs are being affected. But th- that grout and the chemicals that go with that grout might have a certain shelf life, and, you know, replacing or supplementing the grout uh, might... Uh, uh, might add complexity to the inspection process and might delay the, the repairs, the repair work by itself. So, so they're going to, in short, in short, they're going to they're going to look at not just the strand, they're going to look at everything around it because obviously there's there's uh, let's say a near miss, and they want they want to find out if the near miss is a one off. Um, circumstance or if it's an indicator of more systemic quality problems that the contractors are experiencing. So with that in mind, um, does it make it more prone to problems in the future if something perhaps was missed or, you know, not checked during this reinspection process, so to speak? Does it make it more prone to issues, you know, five years from now, ten years from now, when it's open to traffic? Um, on paper, I would say yes, but if it has been caught, uh, my experience is that people are uh, extra cautious and extra conservative with the repair work, and you probably have a better product at the end of the day, because of that extra layer of conservatism. Um, so, I, I, you know, most of the time I would expect that you're not going to have any uh, degradation or any 
unusual degradation or unusual problems in the future with that with that troubled spot. Uh, it's going to be it's going to have three layers of inspection instead of two layers of inspection, for example. Uh, so I, I, I'm less concerned. I don't want to be flippant or uh, you know carefree about this, but uh, I, I uh, in my experience, people usually are pretty darn cautious about uh, these types of situations, and it's rare that you have a, a follow-up problem with that particular trouble spot. So every bridge project has subcontractors, consultants, you know, on, on the job site working with the team. Um, when you just add more and more consultants to the process, does that make them more prone to error or more prone to miscommunication? Um, the the first problem that I would highlight is that it takes longer to get the work done because there's more levels of review and perhaps even redundancy. So the first consequence uh, that 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 comes to mind for me and that you know is the normal situation is it's just going to stretch the duration of the work out longer than otherwise would be the case. Um, Yes, there's a possibility that, pardon the pun, something might fall between the cracks between two consultants, but the more likely situation is that there's going to be more overlap and more, um, you know, uh, armchair quarterbacking of each other uh, than there's going to be something falling between the cracks. Okay. Well, Bill, I appreciate your insights, uh, your expertise on this. Is there anything else you want to add about what we've been talking about? Um, yeah, I would just say that you know, um, uh, if, if you if you if you use anything I say, Bill, if you use anything that I've said today, I would like the context. I'd like you to uh, explain it in the following context. Namely, the construction, you know, 99% of the, the people in the construction industry are well-intentioned, very competent people. No one, you know, very few people are trying to cut corners or, you know, do something malevolent. Uh, it's just that, you know, projects are very complex and they have, you know, hundreds and thousands of individual little components or like I teach my students atoms that make up a molecule or that make up a compound you know and something can always get overlooked or something can always happen uh, because the projects are so complex so if there was something I would add Bill to what we've talked about today is it's the, the, the tone I would want my interview to convey is you know these things happen and 99 times out of 100, it happens to people who are well-intentioned and people that are, you know, really competent um, and have, you know, the best best of intentions in mind. It's not like, you know, there's some cigar-chewing contractor that's trying to get away with something or some befuddled design engineer that doesn't know what the hell's going on. So, if if you can if you can present my thoughts in that context, I would. Appreciate it.
like to thank William Ibs for his time and oversight and expertise on bridge construction projects. Here's hoping the issues surrounding the Road 27 bridge are resolved and construction will start very soon. Be looking for another podcast next week for Rail Group on Air and RTNS Magazine. I'm Bill Wilson, and I will see you down the line.